So Colossians chapter 1, verses 24 to 29. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is, the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known. The mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. To them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy, that he powerfully works within me. Well, I want to begin with um, a, an imaginary conversation between Epaphras. Uh, re remember, that's the guy who planted the church at Colossae. And uh, imagine a conversation that Epaphras might have had with one of his uh, neighbours. Uh, so he's just explained to his neighbour how Jesus is the Lord of all creation, who rules over all things, uh, that he is the one who has come into the world and provided salvation for sinners, that he is the all-sufficient saviour, and Epaphras' neighbor, he listens to all of this in, in amazement. And he says to Epaphras, wow, that's really interesting. Where did you hear all of this, this interesting news from? And Epaphras says, well, I heard it from uh, the Apostle Paul. Did you know Paul has actually met this Jesus, met him in person? And Jesus commissioned Paul to be his main spokesman, to tell others about uh, Jesus. And the neighbor says to Epaphras, well, that's incredible. Uh, well, what's Paul doing now then? I suppose he's a very successful uh, fellow, earning a good living and all that. Well, actually, says Epaphras, he's currently sitting in prison and I'm not really sure when he's going to get out. It doesn't sound very impressive, does it? Poor old Paul sitting in prison. That's where he wrote this letter from. And so it makes you wonder, how could the main spokesman for the one who rules over everything, how could he be stuck in a prison? It must have been very unsettling uh, for Epaphras <laughs> and also the uh, Colossian church. And no doubt the false teachers would have used that to undermine Paul, to discredit him, to say that he is unsuccessful, not worth listening to. But in this passage, Paul, he kind of answers that whole dilemma uh, rather than seeing his imprisonment as hindering his work, Paul actually shows that this is one of the things that authenticates his work. This is what authenticates his ministry. And that's what this passage is actually about. Here Paul, he describes what authentic ministry actually looks like. This is God-approved, authentic gospel ministry. And it's very good for us to think through the details of this passage because it actually shows us uh, where our focus needs to be as a church. You know, what it is we ought to be focusing on as we consider our own ministry in Frankston and uh, how we can be a part of the work um, that God is doing in the world. And so there is a lot in this passage, uh, but what I want to do is just focus on three marks of authentic ministry. 
three marks. So here's the first one. Ministry involves a willingness to bear the afflictions of Christ. A willingness to bear the afflictions of Christ. Now that's in verses 24 to 25. Uh, this is where Paul begins by saying, Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body. Now right away, the question that everyone has about this verse is what does Paul mean by saying that there is something lacking in Christ's afflictions? What's lacking? Well, obviously, Paul is not saying that there's something lacking in Christ's suffering on the cross for our salvation. I mean, he's just told us that Christ is the all-sufficient Savior. Uh, so Paul's not saying there's something deficient about the cross or that, you know, Jesus has done so much, but then we've got to add a little bit more to, to make up. Uh, he's not talking about Christ's death being lacking, right? Christ's sacrifice was once for all. Last week, we saw how Christ's death reconciles us to the Father. It doesn't partially reconcile us, but we're fully reconciled by his death. There's nothing more to do. And so there's nothing lacking regarding Christ's work on the cross for us. And so this, this verse, it's not talking about Christ's redemptive suffering, but rather it's talking about Christ's afflictions that are experienced by his people as they go about the work of the gospel. And you can see that clearly when you look at the context. And, and this is the thing, whenever you come across a very hard verse that doesn't make sense, the key is always the context. Look at how it's explained in the context and then make sure you interpret it consistently with other parts of the scripture that speak more clearly to that subject. Well, here, what's the context? Paul, he's talking about his service to the church. And how does Paul serve the church? Well, if we read a little bit lo longer, it says that he did that by making the word of God fully known. And as Paul went about that, that great task, making the word of God fully known, he encountered hostility and hardships just like Jesus did. He was persecuted just like Jesus was. And so what Paul is saying is that as a representative of Jesus on earth, his afflictions that he went through were actually Christ's afflictions. It's like um, if you go to the MCG and, and you watch your team lose miserably. Now, as you travel home on the train, still wearing your team jersey, uh, what happens? Uh, sometimes a stranger, sort of tongue in cheek, might poke fun at you for how terrible uh, you went that day. And so what, what's actually happening, it's, it's almost like you're wearing your team's afflictions. The affliction that the team is going through for losing now falls on you. You share in that affliction. And see, that's what Paul is saying about servants of Christ. In the world's eyes, Christ is a loser. And therefore, those who proclaim him will have to bear his affliction. And you know, this is something that Paul learned on the other end of the stick, so to speak. Uh, before Paul was converted, he was a violent persecutor of the Church of Christ. And as is recorded in Acts 9, when Paul was once on his way to arrest um, some, some Christians, Jesus himself showed up and he said to Paul, 
Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And Paul could have said to Jesus, I'm not persecuting you, I'm persecuting these Christians. But the point that Christ was making is that he and his people are so united that to afflict his people is to afflict Christ himself. And so what our verse is saying is that Christ's afflictions, they're those that are experienced by his servants as they spread the gospel. And so with that in mind, it should be clear what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. What is lacking is that there's still more gospel work to be done. There's still more uh, spreading the word that needs to take place. And therefore, Christ's servants, uh, those who speak on his behalf, will continue to experience affliction as they go about that task. And so that means that, that filling up, the filling up of Christ's afflictions takes place as the gospel is proclaimed. And Paul had a unique role in the filling up of Christ's afflictions in that way uh, because he was the apostle to the Gentiles and he suffered a lot in that task. But what, this is, what we see here is that what was true for Paul to, is actually true to a degree for all believers. Uh, every believer is a minister for Christ. Okay? Every believer is a minister because the word minister just means servant. And we're all called to serve Christ. We're all called to serve him in the spread of the gospel. And therefore, every believer will have to share in the affliction of Christ in this world until he returns. It's like the song that we sing, one with Christ I will encounter harm and hatred for his name. And see, often that affliction can be as simple as uh, relational awkwardness. You know, maybe you're trying to share the gospel with a family member and it's awkward, uh, kind of creates a tension maybe, or just the, the discomfort of trying to share your faith with someone and it's hard work doesn't seem to be getting through. Um, but sometimes the affliction can be far more painful than that. And in some places in the world, to share the gospel of Jesus could actually get you killed. But that shouldn't surprise us. This affliction, it shouldn't surprise us because remember what we saw last week. Humanity in its fallen state is not just indifferent to God, but alienated and hostile toward him. But look at the point of verse 24. What is the actual point of Paul telling us all of this? Is he complaining about the affliction? Is he whinging? No, not at all. The point he is making is that not only did he accept that, but he went so far as to rejoice in this affliction. See verse 24 again. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. So why would Paul rejoice in being afflicted? How could he rejoice in being trapped in a prison because of his work as a gospel preacher. Why did he rejoice in it? Because it is part and parcel of the proclamation of the gospel. So you can't separate proclamation of Christ with the affliction of Christ. They always go together. If you want to see the gospel go forward, if you want to see people come to know Jesus, then you have to be willing to wear his afflictions. You cannot separate those two. But despite the affliction, Paul found tremendous joy. Why? Because proclaiming of Christ brought glory to him. And proclaiming Christ brought salvation to sinners. And in that there is much joy. Great joy. 
even though it's hard. And so rather than being a mark of failure, hardship, harm, affliction, that's actually a mark of authenticity. And therefore the implication from these verses is that every believer should have a willingness to suffer what is required to take the gospel forward. And that is extremely challenging for all of us, especially in the West, because we value comfort and ease so much that the thought of any hardship, I mean, we'd rather just not do it at all. But Christ actually calls us, when he calls us to follow him, he calls us to leave behind our love of comfort. When Christ says, come follow me, he also says, take up your cross and follow him. That means comfort, ease, that's no longer the goal of life. The glory of Christ is. And that will involve proclaiming his gospel, wearing his affliction. They always go together. And so that's the first thing. A mark of authentic gospel ministry is a willingness to bear the afflictions of Christ. Second, we see authentic ministry is always centered is always focused on the gospel of Christ. And we see that in this next section uh, from the end of verse 25, where Paul actually, he says his task as God's servant is to make the word of God fully known. But then he goes on to unpack what that means in verses 26 to 27. And so let's look at these two verses now. Uh, the word Paul proclaimed, he defines as, listen to verse 26, the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. Uh, verse 27, to them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery. Now, when Paul calls God's word a mystery, he's not saying that it's some, like a puzzle that's too hard to understand or something that's beyond comprehension or something that's only for the elite group. Uh, no, no. Paul uses the word mystery to refer to something that was once hidden but has now been revealed. And Paul often describes the gospel like that. He, he talks about his role in proclaiming the gospel as one of like unveiling a secret. Used to be a secret, but now it's open. It's open for all to hear. It's kind of like a um, product launch. You know, when companies want to create uh, excitement around a new product, uh, what they do is they keep all of the details of that product a big secret, um, but they set a launch date. You know, complete with a countdown and a sign with fancy graphics. It's a way of keeping everyone excited and, and, and waiting uh, for the product to come. And then the day the, the, the countdown finally ends, the product is finally revealed, the mystery is now revealed. And what is it? It's last year's model with some tiny incremental improvements. Uh, that's usually how those sort of things go. Um, but anyway, the product launch, what it is, it's the day that the mystery hidden has now been revealed. It's now an open secret. And in a similar way, that's what Paul was called to do with the gospel of Jesus. Okay, all through the Old Testament, God had been dropping rumors, hints through prophecies and types and shadows. Uh, but it wasn't until Jesus came in the flesh and was then proclaimed by God's apostles that the, the revelation was now made clear. What God had revealed in the coming of Jesus was 
It was unlike any product launch. You know, this wasn't just a minor upgrade. No, no, this was a, the most amazing thing. No one could have anticipated what God was doing. Because have a look at the, at the way Paul sums up the mystery revealed. He says it is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ in you, the hope of glory. That, that's actually a summary of the gospel. Or should I say that's the high point of the gospel, a summary of the crowning high point of the gospel. You know, everything Paul has told us about in this letter up to this point about the gospel, about how Jesus is creator and ruler over all, how God has sent his son into the world, taking on flesh, living the perfect life on our behalf, dying on the cross to pay for our sin, rising from the dead as the beginning of the new creation. All of that that Paul has told us about, it all comes, it all amounts to this, Christ in you, the hope of glory. This is the crowning glory of the gospel, that Christ himself now indwells by his spirit in his people. This is God himself dwelling within you. This is incredible. This is the certainty of being part of the restored creation. Uh, this is the guarantee of eternal life. Christ in you, the hope of glory, eternal life. I mean, can you ever get over the fact that God himself now dwells within you? That he is directly and personally present in your life, assuring you of a future that never ends, future with him. That's Christ in you, the hope of glory. That's what we have in Christ. And the point of what Paul is saying here is that right now you're as close to God as you can possibly get. See, Christ in you and you in Christ. You know, you see that phrase all through the letter. You're in Christ. And now we see Christ is in you. And do you realize there is no other way to be closer to God than that? There's no other way. Now, the, the Colossians, they had false teachers saying, uh, Paul didn't tell you the full story. We have these secret insights that will unlock even deeper spiritual experiences that will get you even closer to God. But here Paul is pulling the carpet from under them, saying that you need to realize that if you have Christ, you have all you need to experience God. You cannot get closer to God than Christ in you, the hope of glory. And see, that is what ministry is centered on. What is ministry about? It's about Christ. Christ in you, the hope of glory. That's the heart of what our church is all about. Uh, this is what gives the church life. This is what gives the church character. This is actually what gives the church relevance in a world where there is no lasting hope. Christ in you, the hope of glory. That's what the church is all about. That's the center. That's what ministry is centered on, the gospel. And so God approved ministry. It's a willingness to bear the afflictions of Christ. <clears throat> it's also a, uh, it's centered on the gospel of Christ and the third thing we see is that authentic ministry is aimed at the goal of maturity in Christ. And we see that in verses 28 to 29. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. 
Now, when you think of our church family, I mean, it's such a diverse range of people. I mean, everyone's at different stages of life. Uh, everyone has their own set of struggles, their own uh, unique temptations, their worries, emotional scars. Everyone has different interests and experiences. And there's new people joining. There's others who are moving away. But what is it that we're trying to do with this huge mix of people? What, are we, what is the goal of being the church? What are we on about together? And it's this, that we may present everyone mature in Christ. Now, if you can recall from last week, notice here's that word present again. Present. Remember last week, the purpose or the end goal of Christ's death was to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before the Father. And so what Christ has secured for you what he has guaranteed for you at the end, this is what we're to be moving towards in practice right now. To present everyone mature in Christ. And notice what's especially emphasized in this verse. It's that word everyone. See? Him we proclaim warning everyone, teaching everyone, present everyone mature in Christ. And so this isn't just for an elite group within the church. It's not just for a select few. This is for everyone. Everyone is to be brought to maturity in Christ. And so this is the purpose of our ministry. This is why we exist as a church. This is why we have gatherings. Uh, this is why we, we exist. This actually defines our mission in the world, to present everyone mature in Christ. And so this verse, it really does speak to every part of our church. It speaks to everyone regarding our attendance in Sunday services, or in this case, watching the service online. Uh, it speaks to the Bible studies you attend. This is what they're about, that you may be presented mature in Christ. Uh, it speaks to our children's ministries, uh, to youth group. It, it even shapes, uh, or it even extends right into your home, into your marriage. What's the purpose of marriage? What's the purpose of your parenting? Uh, this is why we encourage family worship, that your children would grow to maturity in Christ. And so this is our goal, that we may present everyone mature in Christ. Now, how do you go about that? Well, Paul says, him we proclaim. We proclaim Christ. In other words, we keep talking about Jesus. See, Jesus, he is the focus of the Bible. All of Scripture is about him. And so as we teach the Bible, we proclaim Christ. And that's how you grow. See, sometimes people can think that the Bible's teaching, uh, you know, that, that the teaching about Jesus, that that's all the entry-level stuff, and that the way to really get into maturity is to move beyond that, to go on to other things like speculative doctrines or into social reform movements. Uh, but verse 28, notice it begins and it ends with Christ. And that's exactly how the Christian life works. It begins and it ends with Christ. That's the road to Christian maturity. It's him we proclaim. We never outgrow that. We all need to constantly encounter Christ in the scriptures. And in doing that, notice how there's, there's a negative and a positive side to proclaiming Christ. It's warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom. So warning, warning means to point out what is wrong. Uh, what is not in line with the truth of Christ. It means to have your sin and your wrong thinking corrected, 
uh, and confronted it. You know, we shouldn't want teaching or sermons that just make us feel good about ourselves. We need to have our pride exposed. We need to have our foolishness exposed. We need to have the idols that distort and uh, distract us, dethroned from our hearts. See, we need warning. We need to realize where we're going in the wrong direction and be turned away from that. But positively, we also need to be taught the truth of Christ. And Paul says, uh, with all wisdom, which means applying it to every aspect of life. So complete life transformation to be brought in line uh, with Christ himself. And uh, one of the things that it's important to notice that um, later on in the letter, in chapter 3, verse 16, Paul talks about our church gatherings. And he says this, he says in chapter 3, verse 16, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. Now, does that sound familiar? Do you realize that in the Greek, it's, it's almost identical? The words are all the same. The phrase is almost the same. The only difference is that little word, one another. And so in practice, what this looks like is that some in the church do the proclaiming of Christ under official roles. So in our case, we have elders, we have Bible study leaders, youth group leaders, uh, preacher, and so on. But every member is part of this work. Every member has a role to play in bringing one another to maturity in Christ. And that's something that you can do even today in your conversations. You know, now we can catch up uh, together and have conversations. Talk about Christ. Talk about what you've been reading in the Bible, what you've been learning lately. Call one another. Have conversations. That's how we do this. Uh, we're to do this together. It actually takes a church to form a church. It takes everyone to bring about this goal of presenting everyone mature in Christ. Now, finally, Paul, he says in verse 29, For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that so powerfully works in me. See, ministry is hard work. Right? In our own strength, we cannot do it. But Christ doesn't leave us to our own strength. He supplies what you need. It's actually as you work hard that you find in that Christ meets you there and he enables you to carry on. He gives you the power that you need. It's struggling with all his energy. And that's a great encouragement for us. It's especially encouraging for those who are working full time and then coming home and preparing Bible studies. Or it's encouraging for those who are full-time parents, and yet you're still involved in outreach ministries. Uh, this is an encouragement to parents, you know, as each day you round up your children and read the Bible and pray with them, even though you're dead tired and just want to clock off for the night. You know, it's hard. But look, Christ empowers you to do it. And so we shouldn't shy away from hard work. We should do that looking to him to supply the strength. But this is what authentic ministry looks like. We serve the king who is also the suffering servant. He's the king who came to serve. He poured out his life for us. And if you know that he has done that for you, then you know that serving him is the highest privilege and the greatest joy. Like Paul says, I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. Now, can we say that about serving one another? 
even when it's difficult, I rejoice because I get to serve you. I get to tell you about Jesus. May God enable us to do this. This is what church is about. This is what ministry looks like. Wearing the afflictions of Christ, focusing on the gospel of Christ, and presenting everyone mature in Christ. Amen.